the Open Paddock Rallycast presented by Oz Rally Pro. This is episode number 106, part one of our chat from the Ojibwe Forest Rally. In this show, we caught up with Stephen and Katie Gingrath, who were once again in a tight battle for the overall regional podium. And I introduce you to one of the behind-the-scenes members of the Open Paddock team, Derek Johnson-Love. So grab an adult beverage and join me for another round at the virtual rally pub we call The Rallycast. Hello, I'm your host, Mike Shaw, and wow, what an Ojibwe Forest Rally event that was. Um, Obviously, the biggest topic was the weather. Everybody was talking about the rain and how it came through, and we talk about that in great length with our guests. But did you know that there was also two more records broken um, at the Ojibwe Forest Rally? The first stage, uh, Crossroads, and then the fourth stage in the first loop, uh, what was that one called? It is Refuge was another stage record, all-time record, uh, set by Travis Pastrana and Rihanna Gelsomino. So, you know, obviously they didn't need to win this rally to win the championship, but to me it felt like they put a stamp on it, right? They they wanted to make sure that they showed they had the performance and put in the work to win this one. And I don't think they're going to slow down any for the upcoming events uh, for the rest of the season. Even though they got the championship wrapped up, I can see them still keeping the hammer down and improving themselves. So, you know, next season, it'll be all up for grabs. You know, competing against McKenna in that car, whatever the rules change may be, I think there's still going to be a way that car in some shape or form is probably going to be out there. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Anyway, a huge congratulations to Travis Rhiannon on the overall win. This is Rhiannon's first ever overall championship, which kind of seems surprising with all the uh, rallies that she's done over the years. Uh, we'll have to have a call with uh, her and Alex about uh, their Ojibwe experience. Uh, they're definitely on my call list. Um, and I also wanted to do a congratulations to uh, Seamus Burke and Martin Brady for winning the two-wheel drive championship. They're reigning champions again. So uh, congratulations to them on doing a good drive. Last, I want to do, uh, before we get into the rest of this, I wanted to put a call out once again to volunteers for the Oregon Trail Rally. It's coming up in November, November 5th through the 7th. Um, we've got a new stage or two. Some of the stuff from Mike Nagel Rally is going to be used, which is going to be pretty cool. We'll have the Mary Hill Loop stage, which goes up uh, that awesome piece of tarmac as well. Uh, they're really just kind of finalizing the schedule and all that, but everything's going full steam ahead. But right now we need volunteers. Uh, so if you're from the Northwest region, if you're a competitor that's not going to be competing in this one because your car's not ready or whether you're an experienced volunteer that sat it out before because of COVID and weren't sure about coming back, we need you. <laughs> we need volunteers. I think there's only like 50 that have signed up for all three days. So whether you can just help with it with one day or all the days, uh, please go to OregonTrailRally.com and sign up. That would be huge for us. Anyways, lots more stories to come right after this. Go, five right short over crest into second small crest, 40, full F plus nips. Hi, this is Alex and Rhiannon Gelsomino from Oz Rally Pro, advanced rally training. Are you new to rally or have you been rallying many years? No matter what your experience, we can progress you further. Our classes are team training, driver pace note training, or co-driver training that are tailored to each individual or team. Email osrallypro at gmail.com for further details. Well, I want to start off this week's show by pulling back the curtain a little bit. 
and introducing all of you to someone that's kind of behind the scenes and helping us out, and that is Derek Johnson Love. Someone many of you have probably seen, but didn't really know. Derek, welcome to the Open Paddock Rallycast, man. Thanks for having me, Mike. Obviously, in helping us out, you've got to be a big rally fan. I like to always kind of start with, how did you get started following the rally scene? Well, I grew up in Olympia. I knew about the Olympus Rally as a kid, but my family definitely doesn't give a crap about cars. <laughs> it wasn't until years later, what, mid-2000s, early 2000s, that I started to get back into driving and getting into uh, what was going on around here a little bit more, trying to track it down in the earlier slow internet age. So my first spectating was the last time Olympus ran the Brooklyn stage, where there's the drunk guys that were falling on onto the stage, and a, a quad was falling down the hill. And what year was that? It was around 2009. Ah, oh, wow! It was a mess. It was a mess. I think that, along with the fact that Brooklyn covers two different public county roads, it just right not reasonably manageable to keep doing that as a stage. I only went to Brooklyn, and I was like, holy crap, this is nuts. Yeah, the first cars that came through just blew me away. Couldn't believe that they were going that fast. <laughs> On gravel, no less. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, but there's nothing to keep you from going over the hill. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So from there, though, you obviously caught, got bit by the rally bug, and... Then you uh, got more involved. Yeah, I finally started uh, volunteering. It was when Olympus was out at the coast. Oh, yeah, the Aberdeen area, right? Yeah, a little bit south of there, I believe. South Bend, that area, probably 2010. I remember I started as a volunteer in 2012 or 2013. So I spectated first in 2010 and 2011. Then I got, the, got into volunteering in 2012. And... The group that I volunteered with said, hey, we also go up and help with the stage up in, you know, up at Olympus. I'm like, oh, really? Well, I guess I could go up and do that, too. 2012 was the year we had a drought. We are in September. Right. And still, it was a drought, kind of like we're dealing with right now these days. So thank goodness we had it nice and early in April. Because I remember going there. That's when I first met Alex Kiriani and Chris Duplessis was out there. Mm -hmm. That's right. They allowed you guys to run like a couple of morning stages, then shut everything down like at noon. Yes. And then you couldn't rally again until after 6 p.m. or something like that. Yeah. So Wildcat stage. I remember that. That was the one that Crazy Leo got lost on. <laughs> He just took off and wandered in the forest somewhere with his car, and no one knew where the hell he was. Did he just, uh, like, no banner tape to, like, say, hey, <laughs> or did he just drive right through it? There were two or three cars that went off. No one knew where, because it was pitch black. You know, it was midnight, I believe, by that point. Wasn't that also the rally where four cars all went off into the same pit? And almost landed on each other? I think that might have been Wildcat. Okay. Yeah, it, it's hard to remember now. Shoot, that was nine years ago. My God. So, you've been a volunteer for a while. So, that was when you started volunteering was back in those days. What kind of volunteer duties have you done? Started out with all the basic road marshalling. And, and then 2012, I started doing a little bit more. 
they said they wanted people for Recky, and I didn't know really what Recky was. And that was the year they were filming Easier Said Than Done. So I was out there doing recce patrol, checking in every car as they came in and giving them candy at the same time. <laughs> I love it. What's your number? Do you want candy? And then I brought out my cello and I was playing in between cars when I'd get bored. Matt Johnston, the Easier Said Than Done crew were out filming and interviewed me about what I was doing. You know, checking in all the cars and what the cars were doing out on the stage. And I had gotten no sleep. And I sent him an email afterwards saying, I don't know what I said. I think I was really dumb. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really sorry. But he cut it just right and, and recorded me playing a bunch of cello stuff. And it came out really well in the movie. And to be fair, this is not your typical cello. No, it's it's acoustic, but it's all made out of carbon fiber. That's unique. It's all black. It's three pieces. It's a fingerboard, the top, and then everything else is one piece. Does that do something significant to the way it sounds versus more traditional designed ones? The attempt is to create less nooks and crannies that sounds can get trapped in. Gotcha. Have less standing waves inside the instrument itself. It's amazing how resonant that material is. Any carbon fiber, you wrap on it a little bit and you get this big plank. And so with the strings resonating throughout the entire body, I can feel it in my legs and my chest and everything more so than I could my wooden instrument. Wow. This is why you're the audiophile that's helping us out. (laughs) Those are all the kind of details that uh, I think a lot of us wouldn't probably recognize unless they're like side by side. So you've got this cello that's made of carbon fiber. You're out there doing recce. They come out and they film you. You've had no sleep. So that sounds typical for a volunteer. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) it was just more so that year. That year was just crazy. And you also have your had your cello signed, I believe, right? What was it? Two Olympus ago when um, the Solbergs were out here because Petter was in the movie. So I brought my cello to uh, the hotel and said, hey, will you sign my cello? We were all in a movie together. I, I should have gotten Pernilla and Oliver. Oliver to sign it as well. I normally don't get so starstruck, but <laughs> my wife said it was really cute, really funny. You know, the same happened to me around them. I tried not to be starstruck, and and I kind of was. Oh, it's hard. I finally got Petter to sign something for me, and then later on in the season, because I got I was still going to the events, and I got Oliver to sign something for me, but then it got doused with champagne. <laughs> from the champagne spray and it was destroyed <laughs> you know it was just a poster thing it would have been cool to have uh, what will i think be if you know world champion his signature on something when when i knew him when he was just starting yeah <laughs> that said that's really cool um i love the cello bit that you're an easier said than done i mean surrounded by all these greats and rallying obviously ken blocks in there and things like that you know they're just names that are synonymous with not just american rallying but rallying you know all over the world and and the challenges of that. The fact that you're in there and showing, you know, the stuff that volunteers do uh, all hours of the day, night, whatever, getting out there to do what we need to do to make the events run. Yeah, it's kind of surreal, you know, especially now looking back on it. It's just, what the hell was I doing there with those guys? <laughs> you know, it takes a village, you know, it takes a whole bunch of volunteers to make these events run. I've said it a thousand times on this show. In Oregon Trail, we have, what, 300 volunteers? I'm sure it's not too different for you guys up there at Olympus, probably 
250 plus. I'm pretty sure at the next Olympus, if we have spectators, it'll be passing the 300 mark again. Since we didn't have spectators the past couple of times, it makes it so easy on, on my end. I'm, I'm the one who puts together all the volunteer bags, and I have so much less to do when we don't have spectators. That's one of your duties now, is you're involved with obviously helping out with all the volunteer packages and things like that, which is a huge amount of work. I've helped out with the Oregon Trail and just putting those together and obtaining all the stuff. Some of it's sponsor stuff. Some of it's you're going to many trips to Costco and trying to just get that all organized and put together. And then you have to do it by stage captain, figure out who's on which group. And it, it is a huge endeavor. The divvying out to the captains is... Mm-hmm. That's the biggest difficulty of all. Yeah. The rest of it, I have really good system for it. That's why we have volunteers like you, people that have stuck around a while that can help make an efficient system. And you always make sure that you have a bag uh, set aside for me, which is always fun. And I love all the stuff that you do there. So thank you so much for that. But what I want to talk about now, though, is your support of Open Paddock, because, gosh, it must have been about four five years ago now. The Rallycast started sounding better well why because you listen to the podcast (laughs) like you need a better microphone so next thing you know you sent me something to uh, make sure i sound better and being the audiophile that you are you're continuing that endeavor yeah i don't know why i hadn't thought of it before but i brought up to you a few weeks ago about doing all the sound editing and mixing for the podcast And so I've reworked the intro, outro music and the Osrelli Pro ad a little bit just to give them a little bit more life, re-EQ them, make sure that nothing's blowing up speakers anymore. And then editing the interviews themselves is, it's been a fun little task that I haven't really done before. I've just always recorded my electric cello stuff and I don't have to worry about cutting out ums and you know and (laughs) things of that sort yeah it is very hard as a person doing interviews and talking on a microphone whatever you're trying to follow a train of thought and then you want to stop and think without being just dead silent the person on the other end doesn't think that you're gone right so just naturally we do these ums and uh you know and and we just trail these things out, it ends up being a challenge then to go back and clean all that stuff up. That and with this digital world, there's a weird delay for responses to things. So tightening up those things as well. Like one of the interviews that I edited recently, I didn't get rid of any material, but over the course of 40 minutes, I was able to remove close to three or four minutes of just little noises or where people started an idea and then just abandoned it. Yep. So there's no point in that being in there or stumbling around or so making sure that the flow is still there, that I'm not taking away from the personality of they of their speech. So I'm trying to be very aware of that and the the tone and pitch. You have a lot of pitch change in your voice, so that creates a little puzzle for me to figure out sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) And so I've been able to do a little bit more with that, with with audio compression and limiters and such, so we can hear more of what's going on, getting rid of the background noises. So what I heard was blah, blah, sound better. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> because that's the thing is I did all this myself for years. I've done this all on my own. And, and let me tell you, having your help is huge from a time saving standpoint, obviously. So I can maybe reach out to more people, do more calls because, you know, we all have day jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would jokingly say for every hour of recording, it's four hours of editing minimum. Not too far off. Right. And depending on how nitpicky you want to get, sometimes I challenge myself just to see if, oh, oh, there's a little tiny snippet. I wonder if I could take that out and no one will notice. Just squish those two together. (laughs) Exactly. And the thing is, is we don't want it to sound fake that it's overly edited. No. Really, it's just kind of getting rid of the junk, really. So we're not really editing so people don't sound like they're saying something different than they did before. It's not trying to push an agenda, I guess, with, with questions and how they respond and taking away parts of what they responded with. Not by any means. It really is just making it sound good. It is a lot of work to do that. The tools that I had, and and they're free tools, to be honest, did a pretty good job. You're just taking it to the next level. And I have a a couple more skills to begin with. Yeah. Not only do I not play a cello, I do not play any instrument whatsoever. (laughs) I'm a fond listener of music of many types and styles. I am not a producer of music of any type because I'm sure I would fail miserably. (laughs) So there you go. Derek, thank you so much for all that you're doing behind the scenes. It it really has made a difference already. I hope I don't overload you with too much stuff. Not yet. I really enjoy this partnership. You're just making me and my guests and the whole show sound a whole lot better, and I appreciate it. I really try to focus on not taking away from what people are saying and the the kind of musical flow of it. The crescendos and decrescendos and when people are getting excited and sped up. So I'll leave in all the extraneous words in some situations. If I look at it as musical phrases, it makes a lot more sense rather than editing text. Well, there we go. Who knew the podcast was musical? Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> feeling pretty special here. Well, again, Derek, thank you so much for coming on. Talk a little bit about your background. Thank you for being a volunteer, too. That's huge. We'll have to get you down here to Oregon Trail. I haven't seen you down here in a little while, too. Won't be this year, unfortunately. Maybe next year. Ah, we'd appreciate it. All the volunteers we can get. So, Derek Johnson Love, for all you out there, if you've seen Easier Said Than Done, then you know who he is. (laughs) Just go back and, and play that part. Who's that guy with the cello that's made of carbon fiber? There you go. He's our podcast editor, and he does a lot of stuff. He's done a lot with rallying and along over the years and appreciate it. And that's a fantastic documentary. If anyone has not seen it, just go watch it because it's great. He did such an amazing job with it. Yeah, it is. It is really cool. I'm going to let you go. Get back to editing. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Yep. Take care. Have a good night. You too, Mike. Thanks. Mr. Steven Gingrass, Mike Shaw, how you doing, man? Pretty good. Yourself? <laughs> I'm doing well. Man, that was an exciting weekend again. Of course. What would you expect from a, a regional rally? Man, you, you never let us down, I tell you. <laughs> well, at least we didn't roll a car, so that's a good thing. I was going to say, the car looked in much better shape than uh, earlier this year. The only thing that happened, other than digging another freaking two more method wheels, is uh, on the way home, we got a rock chip in the windshield. Oh, geez. Fuck, brand new windshield. <laughs> oh, that's frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> Man. I'm going to talk to you. I almost need a beer, don't I? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> well, isn't that the like the tradition? <laughs> it, it typically is. It typically is. Actually, I'm going to get a beer with my picture on it. Yes, I saw that. That's what was uh, being used there at the podium. 
That has got to be pretty freaking cool that uh, your car's on that can, huh? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Hello, Katie. Hi. Wow, we do have the whole gang here. Katie, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> a lot better than the last time we talked. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> your start to the season wasn't quite what you had hoped. Talk about uh, later on. Things have gotten a lot better now that you're sitting next to your dad again. Yeah, yeah. Was, let's talk about redemption. Ooh. Felt good to be back in it. The car felt really good this past weekend. You two have done uh, Ojibwe several times before, I'm sure. Actually, this is only our second time doing it. Really? Wow, because you guys are, I mean, it's a little bit of a drive, but it's not too far, right? Yeah, it's only like three and a half hours. (laughs) You lazy bums. No kidding. (laughs) We stopped stopped at a gas station to fill up the truck, and and Brad Morris was there on his way back, and we chatted for him, like, like, oh, yeah, we only got a half hour more to go. (laughs) Brad's like, this is a local race for you guys. <laughs> well, from the last time then that you did run it, I- I'm guessing the conditions were different because I don't think I've seen it this wet at Ojibwe in a long time. Yeah, that's right. It, it was it was very wet, very slippery. The whole run up to the race, uh, that whole area, actually all of Minnesota has been in extreme drought. And so I'm planning for a very, very dusty event. I've, I've, I've been part of events up there that were so dusty that a three minute dust window wasn't enough. So I was preparing for dust and trying to be strategic about how we would benefit from the dust or how I could use the dust to my advantage in different ways. And <laughs> I couldn't come up with very many, but I did have, we did have a plan to move forward. And then uh, the week before, the, the heavens opened up and we really got the much-needed rain that we needed. But it turned the race into, uh, into a mud fest. But uh, I was prepared for it. So uh, I think we did, we did okay. <laughs> Did okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did real okay. Well, did, did you know from the beginning who it was you're going to be battling with this event? Yeah, we identified, you know, before the race, we identified uh, Mike Engel, Mark Williams, Jordan Locker, and uh, Chris Barabo, who had won the cup rally the weekend before. So he's practiced up ready to go. So we knew that it was going to be a battle between the five of us. We still had a lot of question marks. I didn't get really any practicing on the car, and we had changed the suspension to a softer suspension than we had used last year, which uh, was really fortuitous in the wet, sloppy weather. But I really hadn't tested on it. I mean, I had a ha- about a half a mile of, I wouldn't even call it driving in anger, but just kind of testing how it felt. And uh, that was all we had. So really the, the crossroads stage, the start of the race, was the first time we did it. And but right from the get-go, the car felt really solid. It felt really good. I really liked how we had how we had uh, set the car up. Felt some rust to knock off, but it felt pretty good right from the start. Now, Katie, you hadn't uh, co-driven since Hunter Day for Wood, right? Yeah, yeah, it's been a bit of a hiatus for me too. So, what was it like for you going into the weekend? I know that Recky started out nice and dry, but then later in the day, I think rain started coming in, and so some people went and tried to re i think recce some of the roads that they had done before yeah. that were in the dry yeah ojibwe actually the organizing committee actually put out video recce beforehand and we so we did our first pass recce doing with the videos and notes are still kind of new to steve so it was a good way to you know get our notes done get our first pass done take our time and work on them a little bit and focus on improving the notes since that's an area the two of us want to work on together. So that was actually pretty good. And then we went out and did second and third pass recce the day of, and most of the stages were pretty dry except for otter kill at recce. That was super slippery recce day. And there were a couple of times 
we were just wrecking and my dad's and the truck was just sliding around a couple of times and it was, it was pretty messy the day of recce. And then we were prepared Friday when it was started raining and we checked the weather and we're like, yeah, you know, there's probably a good chance crossroads and, uh, and steamboat might be a little sloppy too. So we were pretty well prepared for the mess that, uh, the muddy mess that Ojibwe ended up being. I brought one pair of tires that I had previously cut uh, specifically for mud. Ah. And uh, so we had those in our back pocket and we were saving those for Saturday. But on Friday when we were, you know, before the race, it was raining pretty good. Decided to, uh, we made the decision to to put those on the front before we started. And I'm really glad we did because uh, we certainly, we, we used them. And then we, we cut a second set between Friday and Saturday for uh, for Saturday stages. Steve, do you tend to go into these events where I know you're always battling for the regional overall win, but is your tactic usually to like from the get go, try and get a top pace and then kind of adjust how much you're going to attack from there based on the rest of the competition? Or do you kind of go into this with, let me get comfortable first and then push? So back in the day, (laughs) I would, I would try to jump into a lead and build up a lead so big that nobody wanted to race me. And that could kind of coast after that. But the competition now is so good. You have to be on it from the beginning. But in this case, and in Snowdrift's case, really, and then even last year when we won last year, your your comment is actually more correct. Or we have to learn the car. We got to get practiced up again. We have to get in get in the groove and kind of see how we are, how we're doing, and then and then take a look at the competition and then go for it. It's kind of build into the pace and see how we're doing, and then and then attack after that. Yeah, our mantra before every stage was we're going to drive our own race. We're going to focus on finding a good rhythm and focus on seeing, uh, looking farther down the road and, you know, just driving our own race and uh, going from there. But, you know, trying to think strategically as well. Yeah. Before the race, me and Katie, we were chatting about how this might turn into a race of attrition based on the road conditions because I've been around so long, I've raced in this kind of weather before mm-hmm. and I know what it is. And a lot of the people that are racing today haven't raced in this kind of muddy, sloppy, crappy roads before. Yeah. I mean, most of our rallies are in the summer. I mean, kind of intentionally for all the volunteers and stuff, <laughs> summer sunshine dry is a lot easier to work in, right? Than, uh, than it is the wet. Although rally safe does make that easier. Come to think of it. You're dealing with less paper that you have to worry about getting wet and things like that. Right. Exactly. So, so maybe actually that's something we could, even have maybe more, uh, you know, late fall, winter or whatever, you know, wet rallies in the future, but well, I'm working on, I'm working on fall rally. <laughs> oh, so there we go. <laughs> so, uh, but no, but anyway, so we strategic, we kind of made a decision to uh, it reinforced our decision to find our own pace, drive our own rally and see where we are because we really felt it was going to be a war of attrition. And I think through the first stage, I think we went by two cars that, that were off ahead of us. And then on, second stage there was i think two or three more cars that were rolled before we got there and i don't know how many after us and we we started you know mid-pack or a little a little ahead of mid-pack so it really was turning into a war of attrition actually i wanted to bring up the rally safe again how was it running rally safe a second time you and katie both have you you both having more experience with it and organizers also knowing how to work with it a little bit better because snowdrift was the first one yeah well this is the first time the ojibwe rally crew has used it and you know, me being the chairman of Lake Superior Rally, we're, we're sharing all the documents and training documents with our team as far as moving forward for that race. So 
I am a big proponent of Rally Safe. Since our role at Snowdrift and other people I've talked to, I support Rally Safe 100%. It is a it is a huge benefit to our series and improve safety and improve a lot of things. Yeah, it's as a co-driver being able to see, oh, there's a car off up ahead and being able to warn the driver of that is hugely beneficial and just makes the sport safer for everybody involved. I wanted to talk about the the Friday stages is the ones that uh, I was actually talking earlier today to Mark Piepkowski, and he'd never done Ojibwe before. And those are the stages that are more sandy and can rut out real good. So that second pass on Friday, he was talking about in his NA four-wheel drive car, the dangers of having to play through all those ruts and the hidden rocks and things like that. I guess you've experienced some of this stuff before, but with a car that doesn't have the power of, let's say, you know, Mark Williams, who's you're competing against, you know, who's a limited four-wheel drive car, or even what the angles run, and that thing's just quick. Do you have to just kind of chance it and, and surf those ruts? How is it that you attack those? You know, the line I was taking was, was different. You know, a typical four-wheel drive line with, with, you know, massive amounts of power is going to slide through the corner and use their power to power through or drift through the corner. You know, we don't have the power to play in the loose gravel at all. So we have to break early and apex late and cheat to the inside and try to stay in the area where there's not, where the ground is, is hard, hard and firm and we can't get stuck down in the soft sand too much. So, so we're, we're taking a little different line, trying to carry as much speed. Uh, the ruts, ruts are helpful and scary at the same time. I mean, I put the car in the ruts, set the car up, go through at the speed I want, enter the ruts and stay in the gas through the corner and pray you don't slip out. Cause if you slip out, you have no way to, to hold on to the road. The ruts are, are helpful, but scary at the same time. So as you're battling with Mark and Michael Engel and all those guys throughout, obviously, Friday, but then you go into Saturday, you wake up in the morning, and it is just dumping out there. Um, the, the stage I heard that everybody was nervous on was Otterkill. What was that one like for you guys? So Otterkill was the, the slippery one, and we identified that as the slippery one ahead of time. The stage before that, Height of Land, first half, the first half of it was fast and dry and hard and fun. But then the second half, or even the last third of, of Heidelin, was was similar to what we expected for Otterkill. Tight, technical, and, and slippery. But Otterkill, the first time, was really slippery. Very technical. We had to behave. But like you said, we're in a battle with Mark. Mark took 10 seconds out of us. So we started the day six seconds behind Mark Williams. We're, in, we're third in the regional. Six seconds behind Mark Williams. 20 seconds behind Mike Ingle. We started off, and we just trying really hard. on. Uh, we wanted to be as fast as we could in the first half because we knew we had to be careful on the second half of uh height of land and uh we did height of land pretty good I, fe- I felt we had a good pace mark took 10 seconds out of us oh man i'm 16 seconds behind him so now we're uh we're trying really hard again on otter kill even though it's really slippery i'm still trying to be nice and smooth and tidy and as aggressive as i could without making a mistake and then where we could go where we where it dried out a little bit we could go fast and went <laughs> I went stupid fast. I mean, probably took more. I took more risk when it was a little more dry than I probably should have, but we got away with it. And they're getting to the end of Otter Kill, though, it gets really tight. We were pressing, and the last, literally the last corner of the stage, we uh, we looped the car and almost took out the yellow caution finish board. <laughs> we had to back up, had to back up and, and go. So we probably lost 10 seconds there, but we even beat Mark by 10 seconds on that stage. Felt pretty good about it. And that's what put you guys into second place. Yeah, well, no. Well, no, it kind of not, up almost. Not yet, though. Then Mark took some more time on us on Anchor Matson, which was this, this huge drag race where he, the power race car was just 
we took lots of risks and went really hard, but we, he took 10 more seconds from us. But then uh, we went back to Heideland too, and it's dried out a little bit more. And we went as fast as we could go. And we took so much time out of Mark that, that I might have the times as earlier times a little off, but going into Otter Kill, the final Otter Kill, which is the last real stage before we go to Detroit Mountain right. for two little half mile stages. We started Otter Kill 0.8 seconds behind Mark. <laughs> Felt feeling feeling pretty good about it because if we we looped the car and took ten out of them earlier today, but still it's so slippery that a small mistake could have huge consequences. But we still felt I still felt pretty confident. You know, I was talking to Stephen Harrell, co-driver to Mark Williams. He was talking about just how yeah on Otter Kill the the second half of it it's so narrow. They had in their in their notes something about just you know pretty much at the top of every a page was like stay on the road you know don't go wide anywhere because the trees are too close to the road. Mm-hmm. We had we had lots of don't cuts, lots of stay stay right or stay left in our notes too. So it was yeah totally with, with them. So we're, we're trying to be real aggressive. We feeling pretty confident. You know the, our lighter car, the horsepower on this stage isn't a huge advantage. So we're feeling pretty pretty comfortable. And just don't want to make the big mistake. And about three miles in, we're going through a corner, and I didn't see anything, but we had a huge, huge impact on the right front tire. And, of course, like the next five or six corners were extremely slippery. The car is not behaving at all. It's not going where I'm trying to point it. It's just completely doing the opposite of what I'm trying to do. And I'm certain that the tire, that front tire is broken off, 90 degrees or flat or something. And it's just not I'm like, we just, we just threw it away. We just threw it away. We got to change the tire. We got and, and how far, how close to the end of that were you still like six miles or five, six miles to the finish. And, oh, wow. and, and then we got through the really, really slippery section. It dried out a little bit. Like, Oh, car's kind of behaving now. It's kind of behaving now. And so I'm a little discombobulated. I'm not concentrating like I should be. And, and then, but dried out, dried out, dried out. Oh, it's okay. Okay. I guess the car's fine. Let's go. So then we're back on it. And now we're, I'm trying to make up all the time. We just lost trying really hard and pushing a little too much. Maybe pushing. Probably we're pushing too much. We're taking risks now that I wasn't taking earlier in the day. We came around. I have never jumped the car on otter till before. You know, think all the times I've been doing this race, uh, Katie said, I'm like the third most, enter entrances in this race ever of everybody I've done it otter kill before and i don't ever remember jumping the car and it, it was like right five into left six max left six max over crest we were in the air for like a full second <laughs> and we out jumped we out jumped the crest of the hill and landed in the flat ground and the car just bang all the way down through the suspension to the ground never did that before we finished the stage up but we didn't loop it at the finish we get to the end and Steve, Steve and Mark were there clapping for us. Ah, because we we took we beat them by like fifteen. That was the run through Auto Kill then that put you guys back up into second. Gotcha, gotcha. Yep. So, Katie, for you, I'm guessing you can notice either through tone of your dad or through maybe his his hand motions or whatever that he he's kind of losing it and un- unsure of the car. Are you suddenly having to like change up your how you're doing the notes? I was definitely giving him. To him a little slower just to give him time like like i know he's trying struggling to get the car to do what he's want wants and he's like even if i gave him a note he wouldn't even pay attention to it so i was definitely giving it to him slower and after he got the car out of trouble 
the the second half of Otter Kill when he is really pushing, I maybe pushing a little too hard. So I took out like a we had a couple max like left sixes, <laughs> and I took out the max because <laughs> I was like he's already doing the max, Smart. so he doesn't need to push harder. <laughs> So how is it that you notice he's struggling? Is it body language? Can you just kind of look over to the side and you can kind of tell or? Like, like I could see he, him playing around with the steering wheel and I could feel, you know, the car's sliding and it's not mm-hmm. doing what it's supposed to do. So I know he's not ready. I don't know, just kind of paying attention to him out of my peripheral vision and just paying attention to how the car feels with you know, my butt. Yeah, no, I, ju- I just love that kind of sixth sense thing when, you know, when two or people in the car are just so kind of in sync, they just automatically kind of notice it. What the car's doing, you can kind of tell that too. And just you being able to change your pacing of those notes or cut things out just on the fly, that was freaking brilliant. Thank you. You make it through that one, you realize you got a little bit of a lead, but you're going into this sloppy super special. <laughs> There's some people that lost a, a few seconds <laughs> just in that thing. Well, we finished the stage up we finished otter kill up and we remember the big impact on the on the right front tire. We get out and look at the car and there is literally, uh, it's not quite a baseball size, but a, a, there's size. a chunk of, of wheel missing. The wheels knocked out. Uh, I'd say a little big, a little bit bigger than a golf ball. And we were, we were going to drive closer into Detroit lakes and find a gas station that had a big cement pad and change it. Well, before we knew it, we're, we didn't see any gas stations, didn't see any gas stations, and we're making the turn to go into Detroit, into Detroit Mountain, and now it's raining horrendously, but we still got 15 minutes before our check-in time. So we got time, we got time to change it. So we, 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 we pull into Detroit Mountain, and they, they cue us right in, they wave us right in to start the stage, and, you know, we didn't have time to change the tires, so we ran the stage with the, with the tire, with the broken wheel, and, uh, we finished the stage and then we got, we talked to the rally master and got permission to change the tire on safety reasons. So uh, we cha- then we changed the tire and I looked on and my co-driver is laying on her belly in the mud, putting a jack <laughs> under the car. Talk about dedication. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. There you go. Uh, well, you got to get it done. You got to get it done. But uh, could you tell on transit just how bad that tire was? Uh, actually, no, it felt fine. Oh, interesting. The the chunk of the wheel is missing, but the Cooper tires are, are you know they're so stiff and they're they're such a good tire that yeah we couldn't even tell. Yeah, it was still holding air. I, I went out and checked the air pressure before uh, the first running of the super special, and it was it had thirty psi. So I was like, okay, we're good to go. <laughs> Love it. That's awesome. That's kind of intimidating stuff. Do you even know what you hit, or you just felt a big? Duncan. I, I never saw anything, but it had to be a rock on the inside. Oh, later in the stage, we come around, you know, when I'm trying really hard, driving 10 tenths or 11 tenths, the line we're on is pretty much the line we're on. There's not much, not much you can do about it. We come around the corner and there's a uh, little smaller than a bowling ball sized round rock right in the middle of the road. One of the things we did after Stone Drift is we severely strengthened the Lower radiator mount slash skid plate mount. I'll tell you what, the car, we, I took it right down the middle of the skid plate. The car kind of pogoed over it. You know, I could feel it roll all the way down. I looked at the skid plate that uh, we got home today. They gave the car a bath, and uh, there's like a little gouge. That's about it. Oh, thank goodness. Well, it was a round rock, so, uh, yeah, so it rolled. <laughs> thankfully it didn't just puncture. It rolled. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, congratulations on uh, what first in class and second overall in regional to put on a hell of a show. But I also want to touch on, because the next national event 
is also back with you because you are the chair of the Lake Superior Performance Rally now. Yes, I am. We had a meeting on Tuesday. We're supposed to be packing, getting ready to go to Ojibwe. We had a uh, a committee meeting, and I I apologize to everybody for being distracted by uh, getting the car prep for Ojibwe. But I promised them that uh, after the weekend's over, I'm going to park the car inside of the garage uh, with the trophy on top of it and focus on Lake Superior Rally. So step one is done. We're going to take a picture of the trophy on top of the car for our next meeting. But uh, yeah, so uh, so now we get to, humble brag. <laughs> now we now we get to turn our focus to Lake Superior Rally. Which we've been we've been working really hard. I have I have an awesome committee that is uh, really picking up stuff. I'm finding out that the areas that I stick my nose in are the areas that kind of go to hell. Trying to back off and let them do everything. Really excited about it. So first off, SUPS should be ready very soon if if we get the final okay from Preston. But I think we're going to be able to get that this week. So get the SUPS out. It's our goal to open registration September 6th. Again, it's our goal. That's not a uh, firm date yet. Wait for uh, official notification from ARA. But that's that's what we're shooting for. And the quick update for the, the schedule, again, the schedule is not written in stone yet, but it's firming up. Like, this is going to be the real schedule. Where, um, we're going to have a ceremonial start on Friday about 10 a.m. at the local dealership, Fox Marquette Subaru. We're going to have a ceremonial start there at 10 a.m. We're going to have park expose for an hour and then uh, start at 10 a.m. And then it's going to be a free transit to the traditional Friday service area in Sidnot, it's almost exactly the same distance from Marquette as it is from Houghton. The race is going to start, have an ATC there and, and finish there as well on Friday night. We're going to do the Friday night traditional stages, Passmore, Farpoint, uh, Bob Lake, Estes Lake. We do those stages twice. So Friday is very similar to what, what people are used to, kind of the classic traditional stages. So Saturday we have a new service area that I thought was going to be awesome. And it's all class five gravel. It's a huge parking lot right where we need it to be. But my service crew, people are telling me it's not quite as big as we need. So we're going to have to get a little creative. So this awesome service area that I found, this is what I meant by where the chairman sticks his nose and kind of screws it all up. <laughs> so if you look on Google maps, there's this huge parking lot right where we need it to be. And it's at the entrance to a mine. That's really not a mine anymore. They're still using the, the ore processing capabilities up for, from a that's getting trucked in there from a different mine. That's a little ways away. Mm-hmm. So this big parking lot isn't used anymore. It's all class five. It's all smooth. It's, it's a little bit overgrown. needs to be cut back a little bit from Google Earth. It's huge. Like I drove into it. I looked around. Oh, this is plenty big enough. Wow. <laughs> so uh, we, we kind of built the race around servicing there. And then I got my service area guys to go look at that. And uh, the service area team, and like, we got to limit the cars to like 75 cars. And that doesn't include like the big dogs taking up all this extra space and yeah. area for yeah, ARA and for fuel depot and for spectator parking. And I'm expecting at least 75 entries probably might be as high as 85 too. So yeah, you never know. Yeah. So I gotta, I gotta talk to the mine tomorrow. We'll see if there's any other space that we can get and see if we can do there and see what else we can do. But if that's the only hookup we got, so far so good. So Saturday is going to start at the service area. It's about a, 30-minute ride outside Marquette, maybe 35-minute ride outside Marquette at the, the, the junction of M95 and US-41. There's a big park out there that's uh, used for one of the mines. And uh, we're going to run two stages north of there that have been run in various configurations, like from the 1970s, early 80s, called uh, Hippers Dam and Yellow Brick Road. We're looking at reconfiguring the Yellow Brick Road stage a little bit to use the Arvon Super Special or the Arvon Spectator stage. Mm, yeah. Uh, 
Nashville, and we don't even know if that's going to be on the, at the double check to see if that's going to be in it, but we're, we're trying to do it that way. We're going to do those stages twice, and then we're going to come back to Marquette. In 1974, when, when the Marquette 1000 was a WRC event, or the POR was a WRC event, they used the stage over Mount Marquette. It's a little two-mile stage, but up one side of the mountain, down the other, it's really fun. It's one of the first stages that I ever drove with Bill Westrick, the guy that co-drove for me for like 15 years. Really fun stage. And then that stage finishes literally a couple hundred yards from the ski hill that's called Marquette Mountain. There's no chance to get those confused, do you think? Marquette Mountain. Right, Marquette. Mount Marquette and Marquette Mountain. Yeah, we're not <laughs> we're not gonna get those confused. Coders are professionals, right? <laughs> um, half of them. <laughs> so Marquette Mountain is a is a big ski lodge. And we're gonna we're doing a stage that it's going to start on one side and go all around the back and up around and over the top of the mountain and then come down around the other side. And this is like a, a twisty, fun road. It is emphasis. This is a real stage. This is not a, a little linky dink show off for the spectator thing. This is a real stage. And then it's going to finish right in front of the lodge. It's going to go right into Park for May and get your rally safe removed and go into the, the impound area, start the party and drinking beer from Austin Brothers Brewing with my me and Katie's car on it for uh, press fun in Carolina. That is awesome. Now, Katie, have you uh, gone out and seen some of these roads that your dad's talking about? Yeah, we've been going up to Marquette for ages, and we've driven those roads together numerous times. And every single time, he always says, this would be such a fun rally stage. If it was in Marquette, we could totally do this stage and then go over and at the ski hill. So he's been saying this for I don't know, 15 years. So it's cool that we're actually going to be running it as a stage and it'll be fun to experience on that speed. Well, it's nice to bring some sort of new road, something different. I'm sure Steve, you know, just how hard that is to get approval to do those things. I don't know how you did it, man. (laughs) I'm finding it's a much, it's much harder to do than I thought it would be. But one of the reasons or one of the benefits of moving it to Marquette is that access to more roads. Like when, when, after after we accepted the the challenge of putting the race on, I called the chief of police. He was a guy that I used to bag groceries with. No way. Uh, working my way through college. My everyday car back then was my Rabbit GTI rally car. And I've taken him out rallying in the woods. So he knew who I was and knew about me and knew my history and knew that I wasn't some hooligan just racing through the woods. And I told him what I wanted to do. And he said, great, I like it. I'll support you guys. Let me know what you need. Then my next call was to the mayor, who was a guy that was part of the family that owned the grocery store that I used to bake groceries at. I knew him well. Oh, man. And I told him what we wanted to do. He fully supported it. He put me in touch with the Parks and Rec people and gave me an introduction to those guys to help us get uh, permission for like some of the stage over Mount Marquette, which is we're hoping to do more, but this is kind of the transition year. Mm-hmm. And we introduce the area to the race and then build from there. Got me in touch with those people, and uh, we got permission to use the stage over Mount Marquette and then I talked to the the guy that's in charge uh, he owns like three hotels in the area as a kid I went to high school with he put me in charge in touch with Travel Marquette which has been hugely supportive of uh, the endeavor and has helped support us and helped uh, is going to help sponsor the event so it's just been everybody we've talked to has been really supportive and wants to help and wants to help grow the event like I said this is a transition year let's hit the ground running but we've got bigger plans to to grow the event and change the event and new sections of roads we want to you know, work on and develop and we want to take it to the next level. And I think we're going to be able to do it. 
you know, it just goes to show just uh, how important it's who you know. Yep. You build those relationships, old and new. It's just so important. You know, like I said, the, the relationship with the uh, the guy that's the state police guy. I mean, he he has some sort of experience of knowing a rally is. You just tell people what it is, and they're fearful. If they can come out and see it, or have experienced it in some fashion, I think that goes a long way. Oh, it does. So um, the Mount Marquette Hill is, it's actually a huge mountain bike destination now. There's mountain bike trails that are all over the mountain, which presents a problem when we're trying to race over it. So I need to get those, I need to get those people on board. So I contacted the president of this trail association and told her who I was. And right away she goes, are you, you still sponsored by Actu Popcorn? I go, what? <laughs> <laughs> so she is personal friends with another rallyist and has been out spectating at uh, Lake Superior Rally and POR before, and she knew all about it. She's she actually lived and worked out of Houghton for a while, so she was on board. She put me in touch with the guy who's in charge of the trail network on the mountain, and he he had already heard about the rally. He was hugely excited about it, and he wants to meet Brandon Seminock, and so that was huge. Oh, that is so killer! So I start talking with Subaru about those guys. Yeah, have, make sure uh, Brandon brings his uh, mountain bike and helps show off some of the uh, mountain bike trails there for those guys. Absolutely. So we've got we've got some we've got some big plans. So we're we're really excited about the event. We still got a lot of work to do. If anybody wants to volunteer, we're still taking uh, as many volunteers as we can get. I was just going to ask. Volunteer registration is fully open. I'm sure. Yes, volunteer registration is fully open at Rally Master Pro. We we had to move the website from one server to a hosting company to another, and we had plans to redo it, and it just kind of fell through. So we just upgraded the existing website, but that's all up and running now, and it's got um, useful data on it. So go there. There's links on the website to Rally Master Pro, as well as to all the rally documents. And that's the lsprorally.com, right? Yep, correct. lsprorally.com. Yeah, you can get signed up to work. Got a couple key positions to help out. We still we would still like some help with spec. We got a spectator coordinator that that is pretty sure he's going to take the job, but we'd like to get assistance. So one of the things that we're doing differently that I'm really stressing in the organization of, of the event is that we build a succession plan into the organization. Yes, where very important. Everybody's got an assistant. Or if you got, if you want to take on a job that you've never done before and don't know how to do it, I'll find you a mentor. If it's somebody wants to volunteer and help out and they want a specific job or they don't know what they want to do but they want to do something, give me a call. I'll find you a position. If you don't know how to do it, I'll find you a mentor to help get the job done. But we want to, everybody, we want to have assistance learning the job, learning to, to it so they can grow so that everybody that does a job isn't trapped in it can go out and go back and race, including the chairman, because I want to go back and I want to race this event. I want to build an event that I want to do because I want to go back and race it. So. Yeah, yeah. But it's also great to see racers being involved in organizing because you have that perspective of what you're looking for. Now, that might be different from what just a straight volunteer is looking for. And just the, the combination of that knowledge, I think, is a huge benefit to the sport. Katie, are you going to be volunteering or are you going to be actually competing as a co-driver for somebody else in this one? I think I'm going to be competing. So I've gotten a couple people to ask, ask me already about LSPR. Yeah, so I'll probably be racing with one of them. Awesome. Are you excited about those new roads? Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited. It'll be really fun to do those new roads at speed, especially after driving them, you know, at slow speed with my dad always saying, oh, these would make such great rally stage roads. <laughs> so it'll be fun to do them at speed. And I think it's going to be a really fun event. Oh, I'm really excited for it. 
Wish I was going to make it out this year, but I think I'll have to put it on to maybe next year's plans. For all you folks listening, though, that want to volunteer, want to get involved in rally in some way, and you're up in that general vicinity, also the perfect time of year to come visit you guys. It's so beautiful when the season changes, the colors, and those roads are just fantastic. So much fun. Plus some new ones. I remember some of the ones that you're going to be running on on Friday. I got to recce some of those when I went up there. That sounds like it's going to be a hell of an event. The more volunteers, the better. Thank you two for taking the time. Again, congratulations on your first in class and second overall regional. Showing how it's done again. Well done. Thank you very much, Mike. All right. Have a good night. Take care, you two. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, thank you to Stephen and Katie for chatting with us again. I'm really looking forward to what's coming up uh, with the Lake Superior Forest Rally and the new stage roads. It's always exciting to get new roads. And another thank you to Derek Johnson Love for jumping in as our chief audio editor. We'll have to come up with some sort of special title for him, but uh, he's the perfect person for the job. He knows this audio stuff so well, and uh, he's going to make us sound better. And it also gives us a chance to focus more on getting more content. So a huge win for us there. Thanks again to all of you for listening. Thanks to our other supporter, Melee Design Firm. I'm your host, Mike Shaw. And remember, keep the shiny side up and don't speed on Recky. Woo, <laughs> woo,